morning, church. How are you? Yes, good, good. <laughs> I'll say good morning to you. And also, we are working at the moment, as I speak on a Vision Church podcast. It will be only audio. Uh, so soon enough, uh, you'll be able to listen to all the sermons while you drive or are at work in the train. You heard, listen to this Romanian accent in your ears as you start the day. Uh, that's when I preach. So I just want to say good morning to those who will uh, listen to us uh, as we're moving forward. Today we are concluding what I know, though I didn't plan, but I know has been a challenging series. And I want to say thank you as a pastor that uh, you are listening, that you're inclining your heart to listen to what God says, because there is no growth without some forms of pain. And sometimes in order for us to grow spiritually, we must hurt a bit spiritually. I don't like it, but it's needed. I remember when I was a teenager and my bones were hurting. It was a process needed for my physical development. And I think that in the same way, for us to spiritually grow, sometimes we might be hurting. And if you are in a place where you're never challenged, where you're never hurting because of what God is calling you to do, then maybe it's a place where you sort of hit the ceiling in, in terms of your spiritual growth. And I really pray that we'll never be that kind of place. But I pray that God gives me wisdom to know when to give milkshakes and when to give steak. There's a season for all things. So I'll hopefully together, especially with our leadership team, and as we pray, we can offer a menu that is throughout the year, that is really what you need for your soul and for your spirit. So today we're concluding this challenging series. You know, they say that good things come in small packages, right? powerful things come in small packages. And even though uh, by the end of today, this series entitled The Secret Place would have been only three weeks long. I want to encourage you to turn these three spiritual practices into a lifelong commitment, not only at the beginning of 2024, but as you move through life in the years that lie ahead of you. We talked about generosity. We talked about prayer. And today we will talk about a forgotten spiritual habit, and that is the habit of fasting. There's only three verses that are the main ones today which says this, Matthew 6, from 16 to 18, continuing from the same passages when we talked about generosity and prayer, say this, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that, they, that their fasting might be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting might be seen by others, not by, not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret, will reward you. If there is a group of people that Jesus often rebuked, if there's a group of people that Jesus often exposed, those were the religious people who totally missed the point that God looks at the heart and not at outer appearance. And one of the strongest illustrations that Jesus is using to describe these people was that of whitewashed tombs, which they look good on the outside, but inside, within, they are filled with every vile thing. They look alive outwardly, but they are dead inwardly. On the outside, they appear as righteous and they appear as holy, but inwardly, they are full of hypocrisy, lawlessness, and pride. If there is a group of people that God opposes, those are the people who are filled with pride. A passage that some of us know very well, James 4, 6, God opposes the proud, but shows favor or gives grace to the humble. The Pharisees were very self-righteous about their fasting, and it's easy for us to become self-righteous as well. 
Fasting is about you and God. It's not about impressing others, and it's not even about impressing yourself. Like them, like these Pharisees, a lot of Christians nowadays also miss the point of fasting. But unlike these people that God so uh, strongly opposed, we don't practice any form of biblical fasting. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but think about it. Ask yourself, when was the last time I fasted? And now ask yourself again, when was the last time I biblically fasted? Because fasting is not just about abstinence from food. When I was typing on Google, fasting in UK, the first, thing that's, the, the first page is filled with stuff like intermittent fasting or fasting as a, way to lose, as a means to lose weight. So then I changed, I changed, uh, changed my uh, search and I put religious fasting in UK and all I see is fasting from Islam and from Hinduism. So it's so hard to find anything about Christian biblical fasting even at the quick search on Google, which is why I want to encourage you use Google but always go back to the Bible because the world that we live in doesn't really understand fasting from a biblical perspective. They say, even the Christian articles that I found, that fasting is abstinence from food. And while it's sort of true, it is again incomplete because fasting is the voluntary abstinence from food for spiritual purposes. This is very important. When we talk about fasting, we fast for a spiritual purpose because fasting without a spiritual purpose is either diet or starvation, and God is not calling us to either of that, okay? We're not to diet or do it, but you don't impress God, right? Saying God is not calling us to salvation. One of my favorite quotes on fasting is from John Piper, who says, the absence of fasting is the measure of our contentment with the absence of Christ. The absence of fasting is the measure of our contentment with the absence of Christ. And John 5, 33 to 35 says this, they said to him, John's disciples often fast, that's John the Baptist, John's disciples, they often fast and pray and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours, Jesus, your disciples go on eating and drinking. Jesus answered, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days, they will fast. Jesus says that there is no point in my disciples fasting because I am with them right now. I am with them and they are with me. But a time will come when I will be taken away from them. That is at the ascension. So while Jesus was close to his disciples, while they were near him, there was no point in fasting. And he says that in the days when I will be taken away from them, in those days, they will fast. You see, legalistic fasting and lack of fasting, they both put self at the center of it all. Some people fast to draw attention on themselves and on their empty spirituality. But those who don't fast, they don't do it because they are happy to live life apart from Christ. Because that's what this is about. At the core of it, fasting is saying, I am not happy with living life apart from Christ. And Jesus says, a time will come when I will no longer physically be with my people. That's when they will fast. And that, my dear brothers and sisters, is a, is a more prevalent issue in our churches than legalism. The absence of fasting is proof of our contentment with living life apart from Christ. The absence of fasting is proof that we don't mind the absence of Christ in our lives. That's what these verses mean. 
Like generosity and prayer, Jesus also assumes that fasting is a normal spiritual habit in the life of a believer. When you give, when you pray, and when you fast. And you know, it says, when you fast, not if you fast, okay? Again, it is expected of us to do that. And as you read church history, you notice that fasting was a normal part of a Christian's life, both in the Jewish people and those in the second century church, because they were fasting two times a week. And by the way, when I say church, I don't mean people coming on Sunday for 90 minutes. I mean the community that gathers together as God's people. So second century believers, for them it was normal that every member of a local church would fast two times a week. The idea being that a minister cannot live apart from Christ and a believer cannot live apart from Christ. Actually, even John Wesley, the one who founded the Methodist Church, he made it an imperative for anyone who was a minister or wanted to become a Methodist minister to fast two times a week, on Tuesdays and Thursdays, because the Jewish people are doing it Monday and Wednesdays, something like that. But you see, back, back in the day, the, the further we go towards the inception of the church and in the strength of the church in, in the centuries ahead of, behind us, fasting was a very normal part of their lives. It was expected of all of us as members of a local church to fast at least two times a week. And maybe some of us who haven't even fasted in like two years or more than that. You see, fasting is not only for those who are in full-time ministry. Fasting is for every believer that is called according to God's heart because the passage in Matthew 6 is spoken to the disciples. It's not spoken to non-believers and not only to people who are in full-time ministry. Well, our problem is that we have gotten accustomed to living life independently from God while we have grown dependent on stuff. In fasting, we are reminding ourselves that we are dependent on God more than the food we eat and the stuff we use. You see, independence from God is pride. Independence from God is pride. And that's where fasting comes in. Fasting breaks the hold that this world has on your life and brings you back into that place of intimacy and dependence on God. That's why fasting is rewarded by God. One, because it's really hard, <laughs> like prayer and like giving. That's why Jesus takes these three secret practices knowing that it's really hard for people to be truly generous, to be really praying, and to truly fast. And because of that, there are rewards attached to your commitment to giving, praying, and fasting. Fasting is proof of humility and yearning for the presence of Christ in your life. It's because Christ is not here with us just yet, and it's because Christ will one day come back again that we are fasting. In other words, I'm saying, Christ, I miss you so much. And I'm willing to give up on stuff for a season that sustain my life in order to be closer to you. And those people that don't fast, generally speaking, is because they don't miss Christ. Or because they don't know that fasting is about getting closer to Christ. Jesus says that God rewards those who fast in the secret place. James says that God opposes the proud, but gives grace and favor, shows favor to the humble. You see, fastly, fasting is costly, but rewarding. 
And probably apart from prayer and fasting, there's nothing else more rewarding in your life. So we don't fast and pray in order to be saved, because you're already saved. But because I am saved, I am brought into this new family of God, I am fasting and praying because I want to be closer to Christ. God rewards the humility of secret fasting. Our flesh runs loose when fasting is neglected. Because all of us will either be led by the Spirit of God or by the flesh. And by flesh, I don't mean meat. I mean that inner being that needs to be redeemed by God. And fasting helps us put the Spirit in control, in the driving seat of our lives. And since God gives grace to the humble and He opposes the proud, fasting is the surest way to having God on our side. That's when God doesn't oppose us, right? Because we are dealing with the pride in our lives through fasting, so it's costly, it hurts at times, but that's when God says, I am for you, I am on your side. Fasting humbles a flesh-driven soul. And I would even say, positively, it humiliates the flesh in our lives. And sometimes we need that. Pride is the guarantee that God is against you. Fasting replaces our flesh with God in the driving seat of our souls. Fasting removes our flesh from controlling our lives. Fasting invites God's leadership in our lives through the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Fasting guarantees closeness to Christ. And fasting guarantees the rewards of God. Because if He sees you are fasting, God will reward you. And since God rewards the humble, we must practice fasting in the secret place. And today I want to give you six biblical reasons and rewards for fasting, okay? It will be, I'm just going to go through them. Six, so why should you fast, okay? Number one is revelation from God. And the opposite is true. <laughs> when you don't fast, you don't really get those rewards. It's just how it works in the kingdom of God. So, first reward is that the revelation of God. Fasting, which is something I like to do when I study, and I encourage you to do, look when something is first time mentioned in the Bible. And fasting is first time mentioned at Mount Sinai, where Moses, he said that he abstained from food and from eating for 40 days and nights. And then in Deuteronomy 9, says this, When I went up to the mountain, that's Moses speaking, to receive the tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant that the Lord had made with you, I stayed on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. I ate no bread and I drank no water. And then in Daniel 9.30 says again, that's Daniel this time, so I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer, in petition, in fasting, and in sackcloth and ashes. Both Moses and Daniel, they took out a prolonged time of fasting in order to hear from God. Moses had to go up on the mountain in the secret place to fast for 40 days and nights, and it was, by the way, dry fast, so he didn't even drink water, which we don't recommend. Just start with a lot of water. But he needed to go into a secret place where it was only him and God, where fasting was involved in order for him to hear from God, and the revelation he got from God was the tablets. And without that, and by the way, also another thing that Moses received in the, in the presence of God was the tabernacle, the measurements. There was no other blueprint in the world for how to create something like this. And it is people like Moses and Daniel who set aside time to fast in the presence of God that they receive revelation from God. 
And apart from that, we will not hear God speak in a way that can really transform our lives and the lives of those around us. If you count, if you count among believers who haven't heard from, if you are among believers who haven't heard from God in a while, it might, need, it might mean that you need to jump out of the driver's seat of your life and surrender control to the Holy Spirit. Because you cannot hear from God while you listen to Taylor Swift. Or replace that with whoever you want. Just doesn't work like that. That's why sometimes even physically, it's a suggestion, not bad or wrong, but a suggestion. Remove your earphones when you're in the presence of God. Because what if he wants to speak? What if when you listen to take me deeper than my feet can ever wander, he's actually saying like, okay, you're here now. Remove them. Not to mention when you listen to non-Christian songs. Truly, you cannot listen, you cannot hear from God when you listen to secular music. Second thing is mourning the loss of others. Fasting also has to do with mourning. And if you look throughout the entire Bible, people who were mourning when they were going through times, uh, were fasting when they were going through mourning. 1 Samuel 31, 13 says, then they took their bones and they buried them under the tamarisk tree at Jabesh and they fasted seven days. You see, fasting is also a normal thing in the Bible when you go through mourning. Fasting can be a part of our grieving process as we draw near to God and we depend on Him to see us through probably the darkest of times that we can experience. In those times when we lose someone dear to us, we may feel like it's impossible for us to go through this, but this is where fasting comes in. And I hope it will take a very long time until we have to grieve the loss of someone dear to us. But if it comes to it, fasting is a reward. God rewards fasting through supernatural relief when we mourn. That's why, biblically speaking, you can also fast when you're mourning. Third one is sickness. 2 Samuel 12, 16 says this, David pleaded with God for the child. That was his child. He fasted and spent the night lying in sackcloth in, on the ground. When was the last time you fasted because someone that you love was sick? Because, and I appreciate that we're doing this. Yesterday it was Shane and Kape's Trigger's uh, first birthday. So there's a lot of people here. But one, one of the gentlemen, he came to me because he knew I'm the pastor. And he said, can you pray for the wife of my builder who is Brazilian or Portuguese? I was like, okay, so I, I, I oblige. Right? I, I'm, I'm okay, I can pray for people. But what if... Next time, when someone that you love goes through a sickness, I mean physical illness, you take time set aside where say, God, I'm going to, in a way, um, commit and sacrifice food or other stuff for the spiritual purpose of seeing healing in his or her life. And maybe for some of you that are going through chronic illness, if it's happening and happening, maybe there's no explanation at times, and if there's no healing, maybe we need to get into fasting. Because fasting during sickness is normal in the Bible, especially as you pray for others. And David pleaded with God in fasting to heal his son. Number four, there's a fast of repentance. And this is one of my favorite fasts in the Bible. 1 Kings 21, 25 to 27 says this, There was never anyone like Ahab 
who sold himself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, urged on by Jezebel, his wife. He behaved in the vilest manner by going after idols like the Amorites and the Lord drove out before Israel. So that's what the prophet of God says to this guy, Ahab. And then it says, verse 27, when Ahab heard these words, so they were not said about him, they were said to him. <laughs> and when he heard these words, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and fasted. He lay in sackcloth and went around meekly. Here's a prophecy about Ahab, spoken to Ahab by the prophet of God. He was a man who said he sold himself to do evil. So he didn't just do mistakes. He was committed to doing evil. He behaved in the vilest manner and he practiced idolatry, which God truly hates. And when confronted with his evil, he took a fast of repentance and he walked around humbly and meekly. When was the last time any of us, myself included, I was really challenged by this, because I practiced confession before God. But when was the last time I fasted? I took a fast of repentance. Because when this man was confronted with what is vile in his heart, he didn't just say, oh, sorry, Lord. He actually took time aside to look into the depths of his heart. And he recognized that Without fasting, he cannot cleanse himself because he can be forgiven, but cleansing takes time. And I believe this is a biblical way for us to fast. Maybe there's so much evil and sin that we're committing in our lives. And God says, you need to set aside time. Yes, you are forgiven, but are you free? Do, 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 does the sin still hold, have a hold on your life? How many times have we not asked God forgiveness for the sin we've done, only to do it again two weeks later or the next day? It is biblical to have a fast of repentance in our lives. No, because we don't do this. We only say, sorry, Lord, and then we continue living life independently from Him. And if you are tired of the influence of sin over your life, take a fast of repentance. Dig deep. And don't avoid presenting your sin before Christ because he knows it anyway. But more importantly, he wants you to be cleansed from within. Then again, Deuteronomy, the same passage with Moses. So he went on the mountain. He fasted for the days and nights, got revelation from God. He was coming down from the mountain. And then he says, when I looked, I saw that you sinned against the Lord your God, that you had made for yourselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf, you had turned aside quickly from the way that the Lord had commanded you. So I took the two tablets, I threw them out of my hands, breaking them to pieces before your eyes. Then once again, so again, I fell prostrate before the Lord for 40 days and 40 nights. I ate no bread and drank no water because of all the sin that you had committed, doing what was evil in the Lord's sight and so arousing his anger. The second time we see someone fasting in the Bible is also Moses. Shortly after receiving revelation from God, he comes down only to see that the people of God are worshiping a golden calf. And Moses was so righteously angry that he took, after he broke the tablets, he took another fast of repentance. This time it wasn't for him, but it was repenting for the people of God. Because he didn't want to arouse the anger of God against his people. Can you see that this is another biblical Fast, fasting of repentance. We repent for the sins of others as well. 
Maybe there's things in your lineage that you need to repent of. Maybe there's stuff that has happened throughout generations and generations, and we need to come before God and say, Lord, I'm sorry for what we've done. And even though I know that I have not done it personally, we see in Moses an example of a man who represented the people of God, and he took 40 days in fasting after he already fasted 40 days and nights. That man was slim, <laughs> but was strong spiritually. Fifth, there's also a fast for deliverance. And this is one of my favorite characters in the Bible. Can you guess which one? There's so many. Esther. So <laughs> she says this, Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day, I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. That's Esther. And then again, in every province to which the edict of and order of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting, weeping, and, and wailing. Many lay in sackcloth and ashes. In a Barbie world, be an Esther. <laughs> in a Barbie world, be an Esther. Esther took a fast of three days and nights and got God's people who were in captivity to do the same because she knew that only God can deliver his people from extinction. And by the way, the edict that he speaks about is that all the Jews were to be exterminated. It was as simple as that. The very existence of God's chosen people was at stake, and Esther risked her life. Esther denied herself comfort and pleasures through fasting because she knew that deliverance comes at a cost. Freedom comes at a cost, and God intervened and saved his people in response to Esther's fast and all the people that she gathered and rallied around fasting. And this reminds me of a true story that seems a bit impossible in our current cultural climate. It's from a leaflet entitled Wartime Miracles and the National Scandal. We're not talking about scandal in this one. But basically it says this. In May 1940, when France had fallen and the British army was trapped at Dunkirk with the real threat of annihilation, King George VI called for a national day of prayer. I say that again. The king the monarch called for a national day of prayer. I'm trying to look 1940. Was anyone alive back then? I don't answer. All right, so King George called for a national day of prayer to plead for God's divine intervention. So widespread and so deep was faith in God at that time that literally millions of people flocked into churches to pray. The special service held in London's Westminster Abbey was so inundated that a famous photograph captured the queue a quarter of a mile long, which is exactly this one from there. There was a queue long of a quarter of a mile for people because they wanted to go to church. <laughs> people knew God was real, and they knew he could be petitioned through heartfelt prayer. The result of that national day of prayer was, of course, the miracle of Dunkirk, where thousands of small sea vessels 
evacuated 335,000 soldiers. Is that factually true? You'll know, yeah? <laughs> when the war in Europe ended in May 1945 with the surrender of Germany, Field Marshal Montgomery, Commander-in-Chief of the 21st Army Group, sent a personal message to all the troops under his command. He said this, on this day of victory in Europe, I would like to speak to all who have served and fought with me during the last few years. We all have a feeling of great joy and thankfulness that we have been preserved to see this day. We must remember to give praise and thankfulness where it is due. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Can you imagine a Western monarch or leader nowadays commanding a national day of fasting because of something that can really happen in our lives? Because they need deliverance. This doesn't happen anymore, not in the West anyway. Psalm 27 says this, Some trust in their chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Nations around, they trust in their guns and in their nukes and in their influence, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Number six, also fast for victory over spiritual forces. In Mark 9, from, 25 to, from 20 to 29, says this, And they brought to him, that's Jesus, And when he saw him, straight away the spirit tear him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming. That's a little boy brought to Jesus. And I'm reading the King James Version, because it makes a better point. So excuse if I cannot pronounce everything properly. And he asked his father, How long is it ago since this came unto him? And he said of a child, and oftentimes it had cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said unto him, If you can believe, all things are possible to him that believes. And straight away the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge you in the name, not in the name of Jesus, I charge you, come out of him and enter no more into him. And the spirit cried and rent him sore and came out of him, and he was as one dead, insomuch as many said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he has come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could, we not why could we not cast him out? And Jesus said to him, this kind can come forth by nothing, but what? Prayer and fasting. And I, I know I could have given the last verse only, but I wanted to get the context. A boy that was tormented by evil spirits that the disciples of Christ could not cast out. And Jesus says there is a kind, there is a type, a spiritual force that can only come out through prayer and fasting. And you know what truly saddens me in a non-judgmental way is that we are wasting the power that is available to us. As Christians, we are wasting the power that is available to us while the people around us, our very friends and family members, are wasting away spiritually. 
It saddens me that we filtered our Christian calling through an individualistic set of cultural lenses that puts self as the main character of a story that can only last 30, 50, 80, 90, 100 years. Our story in, in this world is very limited. And like this little boy who was literally being thrown into the fire to be destroyed by a demon that has latched on his precious soul since, he was, since birth, quite likely, so is our spiritual enemy casting souls into hell because we are spiritually powerless. Even though the power and authority to cast out demons has been given to us by Jesus. And that includes you as well. You may know this quote, the only thing necessary for triumph, for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. But I changed it a bit. The only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for Christians to do no prayer and fasting. Think about this for a second. All, all evil needs from us is to be complacent. It's not even about sinning, but it's about doing nothing. And I think this is how we are being conquered by evil nowadays. Because we often, are, our arms are raised high because I don't want to do anything evil in God's eyes. And that is good, but that is basic. Of course you don't want to do anything evil. But neither are we called to some form of spiritual neutrality because we have an enemy that has a mission, that like I always say, that hasn't changed to kill, steal, and destroy. And God has an army that is dormant, spiritually speaking. The only thing necessary for the triumph of evil in the lives of those you love, in the life of my sister, my mother, my father, of everyone I hold, it is enough for me to do nothing. I don't only need not to sin. That's not enough. I need to go on the offensive. And the way we do this is through prayer and fasting. And for those of us who don't pray and we don't fast, we're just letting evil run amok and do whatever it wants in the lives of those we love. I was reflecting again this morning, this wasn't initially in my notes, but this thought dropped into my heart, and I believe it's from the Holy Spirit. You know who I think we are like, spiritually speaking? And I'm making a sort of a bold uh, proclamation. I believe that we, spiritually speaking, are like this rich man in Luke 16. Let me read a bit of the context as I'm finishing. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fed sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and he was buried. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus in his bosom, bosom. And then he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. 
But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus' evil things, but now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides this, between us and you there is a great schism, so that no one who wants to pass from here to you can do it, nor those who want to pass from there to us. Then he said, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if one goes from the dead, they will repent. But he said, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded through one who rises from the dead. Not to mention that one did rise from the dead and people still don't believe. But that's not what I want to, the point I want to make. I believe we are like this rich young man, and I don't mean riches or materialism, okay? Not at all. But in attitude. I think we are a self-indulgent generation of Christians who lack self-control. And that's a very dangerous mix. Self-indulgence and lack of self-control, while people around us desire to be fed by sumptuous spiritual food we enjoy, but we are too preoccupied with making sure that our spiritual bellies and barns are full. At best, we throw some spiritual crumbs to people who are in reality spiritually harassed by demonic dogs. And these three practices of the secret place are not for us only, and they're not about us only. Think about it. We desire to enjoy the rewards of generosity, and we will. But, are we, but we are not being generous with people who would like to eat crumbs of our tables, from our tables, both spiritually and materially. We would like to reap the rewards of a prayerful lifestyle, but when it comes to others, we promise them prayer crumbs, and at best we give them at best we promise them prayer crumbs and we give them nothing at worst. We say, I'll pray for you. Yeah. We don't really. Because that's what an I'll pray for you is. It's just spiritual crumbs. I'm suffering, I'll pray for you. I'm hurting, I'll pray for you. While we sit at the table of the king, while we have the power of the Holy Spirit within us, while we are called to be part of the army of God, all we do is to have some spiritual crumbs. I carry you in my thoughts. Okay, but that doesn't help me. We would like to experience the rewards of fasting, like Moses who stood before God, like Daniel, whose prayers the Archangel Michael had to battle a highly rankly spiritual dark force in the heavens only to, 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 to respond to his prayers. We'd like to be like Moses. We'd like to be like Daniel. We'd like to be like Esther, one of the bravest and strongest believers in history. We would like that. Meanwhile, years go over our lives, and we have never fasted, and when we do fast, we only do it until it gets uncomfortable or in order to lose some weight. 
My dear brothers and sisters, fasting is not about weight loss, it's about flesh loss. We need to lose more of that spiritual flesh within our lives. And whatever happened in the past, it's already past. Please don't feel guilty, but if you feel in any way challenged, turn it into something positive to apply yourself to start fasting. But here we are, not only at the start of a new year, but prophetically at the start of a new spiritual season in the lives of those who call Vision Church their spiritual home. And for those who call Vision Church members their brothers and sisters. So I, I, later I just cannot get over this, that we are brothers and sisters. Even me, someone who did never grew up with his sister apart from a few years, I speak with her weekly. I truly pray for her. I'm there for her. And if I am to consider you my brother and my sister, am I the same way with you? Are you the same way with those who are your brothers and sisters? And it's in simple stuff like, I just prayed and you heard me. Mary is unwell. Sharon is tired. Dorothy is unwell. Chris is recovering. Lois and Noemi are away. And who are many others? Will you send them a text, some crumbs of I'll pray for you? And will you truly pray for them. And I believe we are in this new season, spiritually speaking, at Vision Church. And God is calling us to feed this world, not with spiritual crumbs, but with the best that we have. I don't want to feed people in need with spiritual crumbs. I want it in a way to, I want to give them the best. Even though I save this pudding for last, when someone asks me for it, I'm going to give it away. I'm not going to be self-indulgent with all the gifts that God has given us and has given me. God is calling us to be generous like we've never been before. And I say this apologetically, not unapologetically. I should not stand in front of brothers and sisters and be fearful in any way that I'm calling all of us to be truly generous. Because there's a world dying around us. God is calling us to become prayer intercessors for a world that is dying around us. Please, I'm not interested in prayer crumbs. You eat those and let's give them the main meal. Let's switch places for a second. I don't know if you've ever been on missional trips, mission trips, but when you go to places where people are really poor, even the fact that you may be nicely dressed already shows you that you are in a place of, you are blessed like God. And imagine if you go with your KFC in a village like Roman gypsies I've been to many times and those people are literally dying of hunger. But I'm like, I'm going to pray for you. Here's a bone, dog. And we don't say it like this. Spiritual, we never dare to even say something like this. But practically, that's how we live. As if the world around us doesn't even deserve our crumbs from the, from the table. And I don't know what you think about our church, but I promise you, the spiritual food we get here is really, really good and tasty, if I may say so, as the main chef. <laughs> if there would be uh, spiritual mission stars, we are up there, right? Better than chapter one in Bromley, spiritually speaking. But we don't, we don't only feed ourselves in order to get spiritually obese. We need to give to others everything that we are learning, everything that we are receiving. God is calling us to stand in the gap, 
through fasting and through self-denial because people around us are thrown into the eternal fire. People around us are spiritually starving. People around us, they need healing. They need to be delivered and they need to be saved by Jesus. But Jesus chose to fulfill his mission in this world through you, (laughs) of all people, and through me. Jesus could just drop into this world and save everyone. He could, and he will one day. But until then, he is calling you and me to be part of this spiritual army that feeds the world, not with crumbs, but with the best that we have. That's why we're called to practice generosity. We're called to practice intercessory prayer, and we are called to fast. We're not even close to the second century believers who are fasting two times a week. How about one time a week? How about one meal a week? (laughs) You see, I'm so passionate because I know most of you will be deeper than a few years ago, and I know you can. I know you can do all of these things. I know you, some, some of you even want to do some of the things, but there's something, maybe there's that fear that's like, what if this will not work? Try God. Let Him move into your life. Let Him intervene in your life. Be generous. Be praying. And be fasting. And I pray that you'll do this weekly, <laughs> because it's possible. My, Naomi and I, we are not consistent, I admit, but part of our weekly routine was we pray daily, we read the Word of God daily, and we, we fast weekly. We have a day of, of fasting in our home, with two of us, it's easier to manage, where we say, this is the day of fasting. And I know it's supposed to be secret, but I'm telling you, like, just so, sort of follow me a bit. As I try to follow Christ, who gave himself to fasting, who gave himself to praying. You will achieve nothing of worth in your spiritual life without prayer and fasting and generosity. And how can we do this? Simply plan to fast regularly. Let's start with once a week, even if that once a week means one meal. You can do it. Try to understand your limit and push it through, push through a bit. But do it regularly. It's better if we fast regularly but imperfectly than to not fast at all because, oh, I messed it up. It's okay. Start easy, but you can start. There's nothing stopping you from fasting, practicing a fasting of some sorts. There's nothing. You can fast from media. You can fast, fast from Spotify. You can fast from YouTube. There's so many reasons, things that are between us and Christ, and because I miss Christ, I'm going to remove them from my life because I want to be closer to Him. And then you need to know why you are fasting. Do you need revelation from God? Take some time to fast. Do you need God? Do you need to see healing in someone's life? Fast for them. Do you need deliverance of some sorts? Fast. Do you need to repent, take a fast of repentance and go before God in humility say, God, cleanse me deeply from within. Any speck of evil that is present in my heart and in my mind, God, remove them, Lord, because I want to be holy as you are holy. Fast regularly and have a spiritual purpose and then see how God is going to reward those who fast. And I'll finish with this. And I'm announcing this because it's 
really early to give you time to think it through, okay? You know, we normally do 21 days of prayer and fasting. Normally, we've done it three years. Normally. Anyway, this year, as you see, we didn't start with this because I was sort of spending time in prayer. And what I feel God is calling us to do is to do 10 days of consecration through prayer and fasting. And this is going to start on, oh, that's not January, sorry, February. <laughs> that's my mistake. On February the 12th, so that's almost a month away. You have time to put it in your calendars. But I want to call you, Vision Church, <laughs> to 10 days of consecration. Consecration means that we set ourselves apart as a church and as individuals for God through daily prayer and fasting between us over 10 days. And I want you to pray into that already starting. We have one month to come before the Holy Spirit and say, how do you want me to fast? For how long? And more importantly, what are some spiritual purposes that you want me to fast for personally? And I'm going to share with you what we can fast for as a church together, a, a communal fast before God, where we want to say, God, we want to see some things happen in our church this year. But I'm telling you that if we don't do it together, it's almost useless because I'm already fasting. <laughs> I'm not enough. My fasting is not enough. Our fasting is enough. And I want you to think about it even the next few weeks. And I'm already going to mention it every single day, every single week. Ten days in which we set ourselves aside apart for God through prayer and fasting. I'm going to explain logistics closer to the date. And we want to think about spiritual purposes for us personally, whether it's deliverance, whether it's repentance, whether it's healing, whether it's revelation from God, whatever it is. Let's try God this year for 10 days as we set ourselves aside for Him. Amen.